we reflect on the time before we came to know you How we were unbelievers, committing tons of treason We had a hundred reasons why we wouldn't come to Jesus But they were all excuses, because our thoughts were useless That's what the dark produces, Father you already knew this We were foolish and clueless, just as ruthless as Judas Who knew that you would choose to pursue us and move the wound? Well, I'm glad to open God's Word with you guys this morning and continue walking through uh, the series we've had the last several weeks on this topic of revival in the Scriptures. The Bible says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. It's a conditional statement that God gives to his people after Solomon dedicates the temple. And he says, if there's a time where I close up the heavens and rain is not coming, and my judgment is clearly upon you and this land, it's because you rebelled from me. He says, at that point, if my people call by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, he would heal their land. He tells them to turn from their wicked ways. In the Bible, the word that gives, another word for turn is to repent, to turn around from the thing that is causing our hearts to go away from God. And here's his call to pray and to repent together in 2 Chronicles 7.14. In our series on revival, we've looked at different components of, of what the Bible talks about when it comes to revival or awakening. How ultimately it's God calling us back to the love that we have for Jesus we first understood that he died for us. It's God calling us back to love and hunger for his word and let his word to renew our minds. And also the last several weeks, I've talked about different revivals that have happened in church history. One of which I've talked about here in our country and another in which I want to tell you about today is what happened in 1857 and 58. There was a revival in New York City you may have not known. And it happened shortly before a stock market crashed in October of 1858. It's known now as the Businessmen's Revival. During that time in 1857, there was a man named Jeremiah Lanfear who loved Jesus, but he was no pastor. He was, he was a layman in the congregation who loved the Lord and wanted people to know about Jesus. And God burdened his heart to pray with others. He wanted to pray for the nation and pray for their city in New York. So he said, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to get people together and during the lunch break every day at 12, we're going to meet at this particular church in downtown New York and we're going to pray for an hour. And we're just going to see what God does. Well, the first day, they met together to pray and for the first 30 minutes, no one showed up. And you might think, Jeremiah Lanfear's thing, an epic fail, right? Well, over the last 30 minutes, about six people showed up. And so for this first prayer gathering in New York City in 1857, there were six people. The next week they met again, I think it was on a Wednesday, during a lunch break, and 20 people showed up to pray. And then by early October of 1857, about 30 people would get together to pray. And then that October, the stock market crashed. And everything people put their hopes in came crashing down as well. 
And suddenly that prayer meeting went to about 200 people saying, God, we really do need you. Nothing like God stripping away from us our points of trust to help us realize it's him that we ought to trust in. Well, that prayer meeting began to grow and then also it began to take place in other parts of New York City, other locations. And before they knew it, the prayer meeting went from weekly to daily. And it was estimated some 10,000 people would gather to pray every day in 1857 and 58 in New York City. 10,000 people during their lunch break. Talk about investing your noon hour. Well, it didn't stop in New York. It spread to Boston and then Philadelphia. There's a story in Philadelphia where they would have about 20, 30 people as well praying together, asking God's spirit to pour out upon them. And the, 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 the group grew so big, they ended up having to rent out a, a hall that could seat 2,500 people. But standing room, it included 4,000, and they packed that out in Philadelphia. And then it happened in Cleveland, in Appleton, Wisconsin. And then, yes, in Chicago in 1858. In 1858, the population of Chicago was 109,000 people. There were 70 churches and over 100 brothels. You see the spiritual need in our city. And during that time, God began to stir in people's hearts to pray. And an evangelist named D.L. Moody began to share the love of Jesus with people here in this city in 1858. And he started Sunday schools, reaching out to children. Before you knew it, some 2,000 people would pray daily here in Chicago in what was the Metropolitan Theater. Shortly before Dale Moody's death in 1899, he thought about this awakening and he said, I would like before I die to see a wave going from Maine to California that will sweep thousands into the kingdom of God. He remembered his, this, this revival. He says, God, do it again. And it all started from prayer and repentance. So I look in our country we look around and say our, our country is in need of revival. And we look at the church in America, we say the church is in need of revival. Now one thing I want to set straight here is I, I'm a little defensive about the church in the United States. I see a lot of people on social media, a lot of uh, different people who are communicators who bash the church. And the church got its flaws, but let's remember it's Jesus' wife, right? It's the bride of Christ. Let's not overlook the things that God has done through the American church throughout the ages. And yes, there have been some flaws and real flaws and dark flaws like slavery and racism and, and, and um, consumerism and arrogance. And we see it. And we see a lot of these things in our own day. So I'm not here to bash the church, but I am to say that the church needs revival in our country. It, it seems a brashness in our and our country as a whole is, is celebrated from our White House to the basketball court or the father of basketball players. There, there's arrogance that, that's celebrated in our country. We, we love our materials. And when we look around, we say, God, we need you to revive us. Yes, the church isn't perfect. It gets a lot right, but there, there's still a lot that God needs to work in this country from Maine to California. And of course, here in Chicago, and yes, here at the brook. See, our God is a faithful God, and he wants his bride to love him. And he went to the cross, sending his son to the cross to purify us, to live for him. And for us, what we must understand is for God to revive our hearts, it begins in prayer, and then acknowledging our need for God, which is called repentance, and turning away from our sins and saying, God, heal us. 
you our land. My prayer throughout this series is that God would make us a little uncomfortable. That he'd make us squirm a little bit, whether it be in these pews or when you get home. And I hope he's doing it. I pray he would continue to do it because we don't want to be comfortable. We know the dangers of comfort and coasting. So today I pray that God would burden your heart and my heart for prayer and for repentance and for revival. In revival, God awakens his people to deepen their faith and cause them to turn back to him. But also in revival, God arrests the hearts of people who don't know Jesus. And we know that in our gatherings each Sunday, there are some of us who know Jesus and love him and walk with him and want to pursue him, maybe struggling and trying to get back on their feet. And we know there are others here among our gatherings every week who don't know Jesus, who are investigating the faith. And I don't know where you're at in that spectrum, but you must understand that God wants your heart. He wants all of you. And you and I know that when we try doing things by our own strength, by our own wisdom and our own plans, we end up falling on our own face, don't we? And so what we want to see is that God is calling us. We've said in our first week that we can't schedule revival. You can't put it on the calendar and say, hey, the day after the church picnic, God's going to have a revival here at the brook at 10.30 a.m. We'll take it, but we can't schedule it. Because revival is, uh, another word for revival is awaken. It's an awakening. And God, according to his sovereignty, chooses to do that as he pleases. And what we want to do is through prayer say, God, prepare the soil of our hearts. Prepare the soil of our hearts. Give us a heart of repentance to see our sin and turn from it. One of my favorite preachers, a man named Crawford Loritz, a pastor in, in, in Georgia, just outside of Atlanta, he says repentance is the primary vehicle to both personal and corporate revival. He says there could be no revival without the repentance of sin, from turning from our sin. No program or process in the Christian life can produce revival and renewal. No matter how good the Bible study program is, no matter how wonderful the outreach strategy may be, no matter how great the seminar or workshop that you attended may be, the key to all renewal, the key to all wholeness, the key to all awakening in the Christian life has to do with dealing directly and biblically with our sin. And so we pray that God would show us how we personally need to repent that he would begin to revive our hearts. There's a prayer in the Bible that sometimes we have overlooked, maybe are not aware of, in the book of Daniel chapter 9, that gives us a beautiful pattern of repentance. And that's a passage I want to unpack for you this morning. But before we turn there, I want to pray and just ask God to, to continue to prepare the soil of our hearts as we, as we get ready to open his word. God, we, we don't like being uncomfortable, and I confess that first, Lord. I don't want to see my sin, because then I've got to do something about it. And sometimes, God, uh, it's too comfortable to, to deal with it. And Lord, um, I think most of us would say at one time or another, maybe even right now, we're in that place. And yet, God, you love us enough to show us how we need you. God, you would be a wicked God to not show us our need for you, to push us away, to not reveal yourself. But you and your kindness has sent your son, Jesus, and now your spirit shows us how we need you. 
And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to our personal need and also our national need. Lord, our country needs you. And God, I pray that just as we read in Daniel 9, that we'd have the same heartbeat of Daniel as he prayed a prayer of repentance and a prayer for revival. God, whether we're here today and we have not put our faith in your son Jesus or whether we're here today and we have put our faith in our, your son Jesus, God, I pray that you would move in our hearts. For those who don't know you today, God, perhaps let today be that day of salvation for them where they say, God, I'm done from running from you. I'm done trying to do things on my own. I need you, Lord. Forgive me. Give me a new life and a new hope. Would you do that? So, Lord, I pray you speak through me in power. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see for the glory of your son's name. Amen. Well, we find ourselves in the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Daniel 9. The book of Daniel is an interesting one. We find some great stories of uh, three men who were thrown into a burning, fiery furnace, and God saves them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We hear the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And usually we stop reading the book of Daniel at that point because afterward it gets really confusing. He's got these visions of heaven, and there's these animals, and there's this goat with a different horns. You're like, okay, what's going on? It's, it's, it's an apocalyptic imagery. But so if we, don't, if we don't read the rest of the book of Daniel, we end up missing out on chapter 9, and I'm excited to show you chapter 9 today. To give you some backdrop, the book of Daniel is written by Daniel himself when he was in the land of Babylon because God's people were conquered and put into exile. And I mentioned this earlier as I was praying that the prophet Jeremiah was, was the prophet around that time and, and he saw what was happening and he was grieved by it. And, and here comes Daniel on the scene afterward, some 65, 70 years later, and, and he's looking around saying, wow, God, we're no longer in the promised land. We've been taken away into this other foreign land of Babylon, and Babylon was then captured by the Persians, and God, is just a big mess. And so Daniel finds himself in chapter 9 just grieving, saying, God, our country is a mess. Your people are a mess. And I think sometimes we've got to learn to grieve for our country more and not be so individualistic. And Daniel shows us how to do that. Daniel chapter 9, we find ourselves. If you don't have a Bible, there is one right in front of you in the pew. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, please take that one home. We would love for you to have it. I'm going to read just the first three verses of Daniel 9 and then kind of set the stage for us. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Those are the Babylonians. The Medes were the Persians. Verse 2, in the, year, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I'll pause there. Jeremiah says when this king, Darius was the king, during that time, he was going through the books. You see that in verse 2. He's going through a book that was written by Jeremiah, which is the book of Jeremiah in our scriptures. Daniel was reading the Bible. He was studying the word when his heart was moved to repent. And this tells us the centrality of God's word in our lives. Guys, this must accompany our prayer life. And during that time, 
He says, I was reading the book of Jeremiah, seeing how many years must pass. He says, namely, 70 years. And I'm going to give us some historical background here to the book of Jeremiah. So what happened was, when Jeremiah was a prophet in the land of Israel, God told him, hey, you got to go out there, tell my people judgment is coming unless they repent. But the people won't repent, so judgment will come. And during that time, Jeremiah gives his prophecy. He says, all right, guys, the end is near for us. Babylon is knocking on our front door. They're about to capture us. But you need to know that after 70 years of exile, God's going to show his mercy and bring us back. It's going to bring us back. And at that time, Jeremiah says these words. God says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. When you come and seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I can imagine Daniel reading those words, saying, God, here we are in exile. 65 years have passed. It's been horrible. But your word says a new day is coming when we repent. And some of you feel like your life is that story of Jerusalem, and maybe it's been a long time coming for you. And you're stuck in the, in the, in the ruins, maybe, of choices you've made, decisions of others, sin in your life. And you need to know that God offers you a new day, even today, but it comes with repentance and prayer. And so here Daniel is there saying, God, I'm going to repent. But what's so remarkable is if you look throughout the scriptures, there are a few people like Daniel in the Bible. Daniel has a scotch-free record. His record is clean in the scriptures. You're not going to find a negative thing that's true about the man in the Bible. And there are only a few people like that in scripture. Most of them are pretty messed up just like you and I are. Daniel, we know, is messed up because he's a human, but we don't see it in the Bible. But what's so amazing is that 35 times in the prayer he's about to pray, he uses the personal pronouns, we, our, and us. And he says, hey, God, I, I see our nation, and we are a mess. He puts himself collectively in the needs of the people And I want us to learn how to do that, church. To look around us in our society, look around us in the church, in our country, say, God, we need you. And not be so individualistic that we think only about ourselves, say, hey, that's those people, man, they're really messed up on the West Coast. Or or those people up in New York, man, they they got problems. The White House, that has issues, but we've got to say, God, we have issues. We've got a problem. And so Daniel here is reading the Bible and he says he's, he's seeing what's happening here. He puts himself there with them, and he begins to pray. He begins to pray. And in verse 4, we see Daniel's prayer. It's a prayer that is so personal and yet very touching. He says here in verse 4, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from, our command, from your commandments and your rules. Here Daniel in sackcloth and ashes is praying and pleading with God. But he opens his prayer, not with a request, but with acknowledgement. He aligns his heart and his prayer with who God is and God's character. Notice what he says. He says, great and awesome God. 
Daniel knows his God and he knows what God is like. And church, when we pray, that is a great way to start saying, God, I want to, I'm, I'm saying, I'm praying to you. I'm acknowledging your character and who you are. He says, God, you are great and awesome. Now that word awesome has lost so much meaning, right? Because tacos are awesome, aren't they? I mean, the sunshine is awesome and God is awesome. And so when we put those things together, it's like, okay, what does it really mean that God is awesome? And the word awesome, the root word is awe, right? It, it is worthy of awe. It is something that is jaw-dropping. And yes, some tacos are really, really good. But only God is truly, truly awesome. And we see his awesomeness in creation. And we know that his creation points to this God. When we look at Everest, we realize God carved that out. God dug up the Grand Canyon. God watered the oceans. He is awesome. No one compares to his wisdom. He is matchless in his power, in his perfections. And so Daniel's looking at this. God's like, God, you are great. You are awesome. And that's how prayer ought to be, where we're saying, God, we're seeing who you are right now. He says, God, you keep your covenant. You keep your promise. So Daniel is, is, is appealing to God's character and, and who he is. But then in verses 5 and following, all the way to verse 15, he said, okay, but I'm here, God, for a purpose. And my purpose is to confess. Over, the, over those verses from 5 to 15, there is not one prayer request in those verses. And I think sometimes when we, we come to God in prayer, and it's not bad, it's not wrong, and it's right to ask God of things. But sometimes the substance and only substance of our prayer is asking God for things. And Daniel here shows us sometimes we've got to tell God how great he is. Not because he doesn't know it, but because we need to remind ourselves. And here we see sometimes we've got to tell God how messed up we are. Not because he doesn't know it, but because we need to remind ourselves. And Daniel is here and he just prays. Verses 5 through 15, he says, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Look at those words he uses. We have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, turned aside from your commandments and rules. He's emptying the bank of words to show how messed up they are, how rebellious they've become. Daniel is putting his finger on the pulse of the people, and he's including himself with it. I think sometimes we, we cut repentance and confession short in our hearts, and we don't really put our finger on that pulse long enough. Say, God, show me what's here in my heart. Uh, let me linger here, God. I, it's an uncomfortable, God, but you need to show me where I'm at for us to understand maybe how wicked we could be sometimes. And I'm not trying to beat you up here because there's redemption in the name of Jesus. We'll get to that. But there's redemption from our sin. We've got to understand that's where we're at. And here, Daniel is saying, God, this is us. Verse 6, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belong righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. 
to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he has set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. I'll pause there. Several times Daniel says, God, we have not listened to your voice. What Daniel tells us there and reminds us even now is that God does still speak. And when he speaks, he calls us to act and respond and to listen. And he's saying, God, man, we haven't listened to your voice. It's not that you're not talking to us, God. It's just that we are not listening. You've spoken through your word. You've spoken through your prophets. God speaks today to church. And that's a reason to amen. God speaks today, church. All right. He speaks to us today. The question is whether or not we listen. Now, I want us to understand that the primary venue by which God speaks is through his word. That's why it's called the word of God. And I think sometimes we look for different signs and coincidences to hear from God. And that's not all bad, but it's not all good either. Because it's not that hard. God has spoken clearly. And so rather than looking for a sign necessarily, look to his word where he has spoken. And yes, he'll use other things, and God can and will and does do that. But don't overlook his word. And here Daniel's like, God, you've given us your word. We just haven't listened to it. We're not obeying it. And so here he is confessing their sin. And he uses all these kinds of words to explain it. And what I want us to do is learn the art of confession, church. To learn the art of saying, God, this is what's going on here. To, to, not, to not rationalize what's in our hearts, to not give excuses, or to not even summarize it in broad terms, saying, God, what is going on when I was jealous? What was going on when I was greedy? Why, why did I gossip and tear down my sister or brother? Why am I never satisfied, God, with what I have? God, why am I lusting? See, this gets to the heart. It's not just an action, but it's a heart condition. And God wants us to learn the art of confession and not cut it short. And Daniel's here saying, God, it's, it's us. Look at us, God. This is what we're doing. At the root of our sin is taking God's love for granted or, not, or believing a lie about him that he's not good and therefore you got to take matters into your own hands. Or sometimes protecting your own name and reputation or trying to build your own brand. And there's all kinds of things that we do that get to the heart. We've got to learn to confess. Confession and repentance precedes and accompanies revival. I think there's some of us who have very weak consciences and some of us who have very hard consciences. So I want to speak to that briefly. Because sometimes for us who have very weak consciences, we feel horrible the moment we know we've sinned. And for us, we just can't even pick ourselves off the floor. There's this guilt and there's shame and there's like, why is life worth living? And just, you're feeling that. And you need to know that Jesus has carried your guilt and your shame when he went to the cross. So if you have believed in him and put your faith in him, that you then can stand up and understand that you're forgiven when you repent. You need to hear that. But I think the vast majority of us are on the other side of that spectrum. 
where we have very hard consciences, seared consciences. We just don't feel bad anymore when we've rebelled against God. And I know God wants to peel those things away. See, there's a good kind of guilt and there's a bad kind of guilt. A good kind of guilt helps us see that we're wrong and that we need Jesus. That's a good kind of guilt. It it points us to what we need. A bad kind of guilt keeps us on the floor saying we're miserable and life is, is, is not worth it. No, no, that's not what God wants from you. That's from Satan. God wants your sorrow to turn to repentance so your repentance can turn you into joy. This is what Jesus has sought to do on the cross. And so Daniel shows us how important it is to first set our eyes on God and his character. Because if he's not good and merciful, then why pray? But he's good and merciful. And then in that time of prayer, we confess our sin. We feel sorrow over our sin. But we also do something about our sin, according to repentance. We turn away from it and turn to God. And this is what Daniel shows us. Verses 16 through 19 is then he goes into his prayer request. It took him about 10, 12, 15 verses to get there. But in verse 16, he says, God, this is what we want, though. This is what we're asking for. In verses 16 through 19, he gives nine prayer requests, and they're all similar. Let's see if you hear them as I read it here. He says, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayers of your servants and to his plea for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. What beautiful words from Daniel. He says, turn away your wrath. Listen to our prayers. Make your face shine upon your sanctuary. Incline your heart and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation. Forgive, pay attention, act, and don't delay. You hear the urgency, don't you? See, Daniel understands the need. He's saying, God, intervene. Forgive us. It's with that kind of urgency God wants us to learn to confess and repent and turn to him. All of us know when that oil light comes in our car, it's time for it's time for an oil change. You've driven it long enough and it needs, it needs to get changed out. So you take it to the place, like Jiffy Lube, and they remove the oil, they, 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 they take it out, then they replace the filter, and they tell you it's like brand new, go out and drive again, don't we? And that's what an oil change looks like. But in similar ways, that's what, that's what repentance looks like. See, the check engine light of our soul does turn on, our, our oil light turns on, and 
And we realize, God, I've sinned, I've sinned against you. And God shows us what we've done, whatever it might be. And we know it's time to come to God. And confession is like that oil pouring out, saying, God, forgive me. I'm just, uh, God, I've done wrong. And God changes that filter, and he says, all right, you've turned from me. you turned from sin and turned to me. Now, now filter that out. And then God says, all right, go back in that car and drive. Keep living for me. And this is what God wants. He wants us to come to him, find healing and forgiveness, and continue on in our walk. And this is what Daniel asks for. Restored urgency. Show us our need, God. Bring us back to you. See, revival happens when we understand our need. When we repent, we come to God in his word, we come back to our love for Jesus. And we see through prayer, God gives that gift of faith and repentance. Church family, we've got to also see how healing the cross of Jesus is. I know for all of us, we need to be reminded of the gospel, of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. So we saying earlier, the curse and the, the, the judgment that you and I deserve was put on Jesus. And when he went to the cross, God's wrath was poured on Jesus so it wouldn't be poured on you. And so that when we've turned from our sin and put our faith in Jesus, we are forgiven. And so what God wants you and I to do, children of God, is to walk with him, to live for him, to follow him and pursue him. And if you don't know Jesus today, church, man, our, our, our prayer is that you would come to know him. That you cry out to him and say, God, I know I've sinned. I know I need you. I don't want to keep doing this on my own. And like Daniel, you cry out, God, forgive me. Forgive us. I long to see revival happen in this country. I long to see those 1857 and 58 moments. And maybe you've got to go back to your workplace and say, you know what? I'm going to invest my lunch hour. Go back to your schools in the fall and say, you know, I'm going to take advantage of third period or fifth period lunch. Let's see what God does when his people who are called by his name turn from their ways and pray. I'd love to see it, family. Let's see it together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for Daniel and his example, Lord. We do thank you, God, for the gift of prayer and repentance, Lord. And Lord God, as we are here today in this place, as we're together as a family, Lord, I pray that we would have a good pulse on our heart, God, that's informed by your word. Not the kind that causes to guilt and shame and, and then causes us to isolation, but such that causes us to turn to Jesus at the cross and find hope and joy. And so, Lord, renew our hearts, revive our hearts. We pray. God, for any who are here today who don't know your son, Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would stir their hearts, God, to come to him. And Lord, even during this final song, will these words be the prayer of our hearts and the hope of our hearts. We cling to you, God, and we thank you for your mercies that are new, even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's rise to our feet, church. Prayer team, would you guys come forward? Our prayer team is available. The altar is open if you just want to come before God on your knees. Prince, would love to pray with you if you would love someone to pray with you. So let's cry out to God and bring our prayers and our song to Him.